Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today, we've got Netflix's 119th film. It's the 2018 historical action drama, Outlooking. It's directed by David McKenzie. It stars Chris Pine, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Florence Pugh, Billy Hull, Sam Sprill, Tony Curran, Callan Mulvey, James Cosmo, and Stephen Delane. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with MJ. How are you? I'm very well. Well done on the cast. You're obviously giving lots of kudos to uh, all the people that are in this film. Well done. It's a, it's a big one. I think uh, if you have a look at the extra list on this one, um, the, the, the budget on, um, on extras and, and uh, people in the background of, of shots, it's quite um, extreme. It would have to be, right? Like there's just that, the vastness, the magnitude of this film when you're trying to create a... Um, you know, some sort of historical accuracy on, you know, towns and armies and stuff. Uh, I, I don't even want to begin how how um, how much work that would be. Yeah, just the, the coordination of, uh, of needing to put that together is uh, is crazy. And I guess that's um, what you get with a, a big epic um, film like this. So I think probably a good little it's segue it. into our Fast Flicks where we, we give out a quick little summary of it to start off with. So what have you got? For Outlaw King, it is a historical retelling from the 1300s of a Scottish man challenging for the crown and the independence of his country against the English incumbents. Yes, um, similar. It's just it's it's a follow-on from Braveheart. If you have, I haven't seen Braveheart in quite a long time. Um, I had every intention of trying to give it a rewatch before this, but. when I chucked it in, I was like three, was it was about three and a half hours or three, yeah. over three hours. And I was like, don't have the, the time to do it, but um, similar characters, similar situations. And this, this one here is, um, this is meant to be a fast flick, isn't it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the rise of Robert Bruce as King of Scotland, a man who stood up to the British. That's my fast flick. Sorry. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that is quite different to what you were what you were oh. talking about before. Oh, I got to yeah. ask Jesse because you obviously are quite into your history. Uh, you yep. obviously studied at university. You taught a little bit of history. Yep. How much? How familiar are you with this story outside of the, the cinema world to it? Yeah, very very little outside of um, okay. film. My I don't have a massive interest in. Um, I may have mentioned this at times before, but the monarchy um, is probably one of my least favourite topics to to discuss, to cover, to look mm. at. Um, so my my background in um, sort of European history is um, a bit of the revolutions in in, in France and um, in Russia, and a little bit of bits and pieces of the Tudors. But yeah, anything to do with the monarchy and and the British in particular, I'm not a massive fan of. So, um, yeah, I, I know very little apart from what, what we, we see on the uh, screen. Yeah. That's good you? to know because I, I watch this kind of stuff and I'm like, because I, I, I don't know anything. And I'm like, is this just a big gap in my knowledge or is it, you know, pretty common that we don't really know the details of old mate Robert the Bruce back in uh, 1300 Scotland? So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. It's all, it's all new to me when it happens. And I think they tried to set that up at the start. Wasn't it like the true untold story or something? So, so maybe they were trying to pump it up that it is a, a, a little-known story outside of possibly Scotland. Um, That's true. Yeah, and which, which is fine. Like, it's not like I didn't feel like I was missing anything, but I also wasn't sure if I was supposed to know everybody in it and be like, oh, yeah, that old old king so-and-so, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good. All right. Fill us in on some um, info that you're able to discover on this one and, and, and learn about how it was put together. 
Yeah, well, this is obviously a uh, a big film for Netflix um, in terms of just the sheer size of it. So, principal photography for this film started on the 28th of August in 2017 on location in both Scotland and England, uh, and that concluded in November of that same year. So, you know, it's a pretty decent stint of production, um, which is completely understandable when you when you watch the movie and you can understand how much of an effort they would have had to go to, to shoot it all. Um, but the first cut of this film was actually four hours long. Uh, it was eventually cut back to 137 minutes and that's what they premiered it with at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 6 in 2018. So the overall runtime and the pacing in general was, was really heavily criticized in early reviews. So David McKenzie subsequently cut nearly 20 minutes from the film. Um, he, he basically admits that it wasn't ready to debut at TIFF, but the lure to do it at such a big film festival was too strong to pass up. And, and fortunately, Netflix was fully supportive of the decision to edit it after that film festival. Um, probably a luxury that a lot of other movie studios might not have granted, but you know, nonetheless. So he ended up cutting material that included battle scene, a major confrontation, which was backdropped by a waterfall, which I can imagine would have been hard to cut because that would have been expensive, a big to fill, everything like that. <laughs> there was an eight-minute chase sequence uh, and there was a scene where the title character actually meets William Wallace in the woods. So William Wallace is referenced quite a lot throughout the film, but we don't actually see him. So, um, so after all that cutting, it had its European premiere at the London Film Festival in October. Uh, and then it was commercially released on Netflix, as we know, on the 9th of November in 2018. So um, the other thing about this film, it does have a budget tied to it, uh, an estimated budget of $120 million. What I find quite interesting, we're recording this in uh, November of 2020, even at the point right now, it's still the third most expensive Netflix production. So mm. The Irishman is number yep. one at 159 mil. Six Underground, the Michael Bay, Ryan Reynolds, uh, I guess, just Michael Bay, I guess you know what it is as soon as you mm-hmm. say his name, but um, that was 150 mil. And then Outlaw King is next with its 120 mil just above Triple Frontier at 115 mil. And then back down is, is Bright with 90, which we've covered on this podcast. So oh, wow. huge, huge film for, uh, for Netflix. Yeah, I, I didn't even think to look at the Netflix comparisons. I just looked at like the the big Hollywood blockbusters that sort of um, came in at one twenty mil, and you had like The Life of Pi, Ghost Rider, mm. Power Rangers, Oblivion, um, Rampage with The Rock, like these big sort of um, big blockbusters. So yeah, realistically, you could see this fitting in that cinematic um, style and 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 gaining that sort of um, wide release. I guess if Netflix didn't have it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, under you look at those films, 120 mil really does get you a lot. Like they're, they're you would argue they're all kind of big budget films for a general movie going audience. I really enjoyed Rampage. It was a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah, I think we saw that together. I think. <laughs> I think we might have. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of fun. Bit of fun. Um, yeah, I guess the the few little things, just some nice little stories about um, about this film and and some symbolism, I guess, in this film with the the plant that we see as a, a commonality where Robert gives it to his, um, to his wife, Elizabeth, and at the start, which when they first are sort of together after a little bit of a, you know, a building relationship. And, and then at the end as well, it's this, um, the Scottish thistle, which is the, 
the official flower of Scotland, um, which is a, a nice little gesture, I guess, where it just shows that they put a little bit of detail. Um, and there's this big uh, close-up of a spider web at some stage, and I looked a little bit into the reasoning behind that shot, and that was apparently this um, famous legend about about Bruce's um, retreat to Ireland where he saw this spider sort of down and out and um, trying to build a web, and he's like, you know, um, the spider was successful, so I can be successful. Just these nice little analogies of, of why they've included these sort of things. So I thought that was um, – quite a good um, attention to detail. I love yeah. that that's one of the stories that, that gets passed through the, you know, 700, 800 years of, <laughs> yeah, you know, Robert the Bruce, big fan of spiders. He had this epiphanous <laughs> moment with a spider web. Like that, that's the one that stuck. Yeah. Um, I guess that when you do look at this film too, you, you think about Braveheart, if you have seen Braveheart. And I think that one of the big things that, the Prince of Wales, um, is, it's alluded to that um, he's gay in in, um, in Braveheart, whereas in this one, there's no real mention of that. So I guess that's, that's such a long time ago too that there's a little bit of interpretation um, there to, to play around with characters a bit and adapt them to how they, they fit into the actual narrative. Um, last, last little bit, I guess, is my uh, translation part where I had a look at oh, yeah. what this was called um, in a few different places. So in Greece, it was called the Proclaimed King. In Hungary, it was the king of the law. In Japan, it was Scottish hero. In Serbia, it was the lost king. And this one in Vietnamese is my favourite because I'm not sure if this is a literal translation of the location, but it's called the king left of France. So I got out the map. (laughs) (laughs) So I literally think that translation means that it's because Scotland is left of France. So that's all I could come up with. That's that's actually amazing. In Japan, they actually don't refer to it as Scotland. They they, they don't have great yeah. <laughs> geographical knowledge, so they're, they're well aware of France and everything else. Is kind of works around France, right, so yeah. I'm alright with that. It's <laughs> so great. We're, we're um, south of France, so. <laughs> 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 oh, goodness gracious me! Um, <laughs> this was nominated for two awards too. Um, one at the Scottish uh, BAFTA Awards for Best Actress for Florence Pugh and also for Visual Effects at the um, Visual Effects Society Award for Photo Real Feature. So neither one, but it did get a couple of noms. I guess we can... I'm um, all right with that. The amount of effort they put in that, they can have some noms. Yeah, it's nice. What about some consensus for this one? Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, IMDb is sitting at a 6.9 out of 10. That's off nearly 60,000 ratings. Now, I, I actually... We very much remember when this movie was released. Um, it did have a big kind of feel to it. Netflix really got behind it, as you would expect with that kind of production budget. Um, so that 60,000 ratings is, is is higher than what we normally would see on a lot of films, but probably relative to the fact that it had... Chris Pine is a semi-big name for Netflix, um, but it also had, um, had quite a bit of backing behind it. But 6.9 out of 10, they definitely take that. And then it's uh, 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd, so a little bit lower and sitting at around 24,000 ratings. So still a decent amount of ratings. Um, so it's not a bad little result for them, to be honest. Yeah, I guess uh, Rotten Tomatoes had it at 61% and that's on 148 reviews. So um, it's fresh, um, but not certified. And I'm not sure why, because that's a lot of reviews. Um, Stunts, maybe certified yeah. has to be higher up. I'm not, not 100% yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the audience had it at 67, so a little bit higher um, on Nearly fifteen hundred, so that's um, quite a lot for Rotten Tomatoes. Where often we see pretty good for them numbers. Um, I think this is the last time I'm going to bring up the Google users too, because I think I've worked it out. So okay, ninety-two percent of Google users like this, which I thought was extremely high. 
and I think I've worked it out. I think it's just the thumbs up or the thumbs down on that Google page under where it says the film. So if you give it a thumbs up, it goes towards the percentage of down. I don't think we need to look at that any further because I scrolled down a little bit further on the main page for this one. And then there's another part there where it's like, there's 147 ratings and reviews on Google, but it had a 4.2 out of five. And this is on people writing actual reviews. So it's obviously based on different, different on, on that's how mm. I think I've worked out the, the like and thumbs down is different to actually posting a review and giving it a star rating on Google. So too confusing. I don't really care anymore. I'm <laughs> over it. So I'm dropping it. <laughs> I'm all right with that as well. I must admit, I kind of thought that's what the Google users rating was just if you click that thumbs up because, because it's just too high. Like people uh, who are Googling a movie, there's probably a reason they're doing it because they really enjoyed it and they want to yeah. see more about it. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm all right with that. We'll, we'll, we'll omit it from our uh, lineup. Good. Okay. Goodbye time. But this is uh, the time where we can give out early thoughts. So what, what are your early thoughts for this one? Yeah, look, I thought it was all right. Um, it's funny because when I finished watching it, it, it weirdly felt like it was rushed for what was, you know, a two-hour film. And it's interesting reading back saying they had to cut so much out of it. So I just reckon they fluffed around a bit too much early on. Um, I enjoyed it when it got to the point where they were becoming these, like, stealth savages. But the first 75 minutes was basically leading up to that point and most of that was pretty unmemorable so um yeah it was it was fine it's, it's actually one of the few times i've watched the credits and specifically looked out for the words no animals were harmed during oh. filming because <laughs> i was getting pretty worried with some of those horses at certain times yeah i completely agree i think that's a it's a good pickup i oh geez yeah i've got that in our <laughs> scenes later on because that was uh yeah some pretty graphic stuff in there yeah, they did well if they didn't harm anyone because that was rough. Um, yeah, I, I love a big historical drama. You sort of mentioned this earlier on. Uh, this one, you had to focus so heavily on who was who to start off. Like you mentioned at that start, it was like a scramble to just be like, okay, what's your connection to who and, and who are you and um, where do you fit in this whole situation? So, um, yeah, um, it, was, um, it was enjoyable, but it wasn't you know, the best movie ever. Yeah. yeah, it definitely wasn't the best movie ever. <laughs> All right, what, what, what uh, some characters that you've got? All right, so Robert the Bruce. I kind of like the idea of having a the as your as your name. Like I would, you know, I wouldn't mind that. Um, played by Chris Pine. So problem with him being the title character, he spends a whole lot of time at rock bottom, and it doesn't make it too compelling to watch. So the logical part of my brain continued to tell me that he was really really up against it with what he was trying to do and he didn't really seem particularly savvy or determined to fight through for much of this story um he obviously did and i kind of knew that was going to happen anyway but i'm watching this film going yeah but this guy's just kind of he's at rock bottom he's a bit flat he's not really doing much you know what's next so he also wasn't an overly inspiring leader which is fine um but it just doesn't jump off the screen when you're trying to sell me this two hour historical epic as well. So like, there's nothing wrong with him as a character, but he wasn't William Wallace in Braveheart, you know, like it was, it was never going to be a huge film with him at, with him at the reins. Like I feel. And yeah, I reckon also too, like you mentioned William Wallace is is dead. So, and you have these memories of, of what he's like. So it's really hard to, to be like, Oh, this is the person taking over almost. And you see it in this rugged, um, Chris Pine sort of character who often plays 
quite a clean, um, mm. a clean character. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but he's, he's often that, that tailored sort of nice looking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah sort of character. So yeah, I, th- I think you're a hundred percent on, on track there that it's hard to, I think they mentioned it too throughout where, um, you know, he's like, oh, I'm not going to come fight for anyone who's never actually proved themselves or won a battle. And as an audience to hear that dialogue, you're like, yeah, it sort of feels that way that it's hard to, to get behind someone who you don't know an awful, but you know bits and pieces about, but you don't really see them um, having that ability to win. And sometimes I think you need that in a character. You need these small wins early on um, to prove that your faith in a character is is going to be rewarded. Um, That's a good point. The, he killed, and, you know, he killed that com. Was it was it a commune character? Com common? Um com, yeah, com, I think it was just common, common yeah. Common, yeah. And because he was gonna snitch, and this is different in real life, um, huh. which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, he he tried to kill him and then he didn't actually kill him, so he sent some of his soldiers <laughs> to go back and finish the job. Like just these little, little things that sort of <laughs> sort of challenges the idea of the character um, and and what they actually mean, I guess, and, and what their motives are. Uh, I think the one thing that sort of frustrated me the most, and I don't know if this is just because I missed it, and maybe I did because I was too focused on trying to work out who was who, but this idea that mm. he had some hurt and some, um, you know, some some sadness about uh, Marjorie's mother not being there, did that I would have liked some identification of, of what happened with her. Did, 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 did yeah, I, I think like, they said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I must I, have missed it. Well, I want to say that she died during childbirth, or they yeah. they, they did reference it. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, I must have just missed it because to me, now that I know that's better, but I was I was a little bit worried about that. Mm. Um, and I, I did like though that he identified that he wasn't necessarily a good man, but he was trying to be. And they 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 you know literally say that. And I just thought that was a nice little way of looking at him. But he was probably not the you know that hero that you just want to get behind. But at the same time, he has these these issues that not as a conflicted character as you can see either. Yeah, like I agree. Like he was fine. He he was the kind of guy I'd be happy to hang out with. I'd probably be happy to serve under him, but watching a movie, I was I wasn't that moved by him. He didn't do much. Like <laughs> that's the thing. He never jumped, and it makes you wonder if this is the untold story. And then you obviously shared the facts about him not actually properly properly killing John Common. Maybe his story just ain't that inspiring, and this bloke just isn't that inspiring. So no one actually bothered digging it up until someone's like, "Oh, this is this is a bit of a gap in our in our knowledge. <laughs> Let's tell the story." And then had to tweak little bits of it to make it somewhat interesting, and it still kind of missed the mark. Yeah, true. All right, who have we got next? Now uh, I've got Prince Edward. Um, just felt pretty cliche, like the whole snotty son of the king who's constantly trying to prove himself and he does so by being uncompromising and violent he's ultimately brash and foolish and flawed and you just know exactly that he's never going to win like that that was kind of the thing like this guy is too much in that category for me to think that anything else is going to happen to him at the end yeah i um i think that those daddy issues were things that were just highlighted throughout that, um, like you mentioned, this cliche story of, a, of someone who wants to be a leader that's brought down continually by the person in charge who's their, who's their father or, or who's in charge of them. And uh, I don't know, was he a good, like, I, I think he was just a bad character. There was this argument that he was trying to prove that he was better than his father, but I, don't, I think he was just as bad. And that death of his yeah. father scene where, um, you know, he's like, has this, final on his deathbed this conversation with his dad like you know you were just scared of me that i was stronger than you 
I didn't believe that. I was just like, mm, I don't think so. Like, I just think you're, you're a bit of a scoundrel. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, absolutely. He was, yeah. He, he was just, as I said, it was just too cliche. Everything he did was bad. It wasn't like they give you this redeeming feature that makes him a little bit complex and you're a little bit unsure about him. It was just like, oh, this guy's super evil. And because he's so spoiled and bratty, it's going to be his downfall that he's going to think he can do more than he can do. And, well, that's exactly what happened. Um, I've got Elizabeth down there next because, unfortunately, she does come across, and I'm not sure how much, if she had extra in this you know, four-hour cut, but she comes across almost as one of those side female characters that doesn't get enough time that you want. And I did, although I did enjoy watching that relationship at the start with Robert slowly develop and grow. I liked that it wasn't just like, she hated him the whole time or it was like one little scene that led to her being like, Oh, I love you now. Like there were these nice little moments throughout at the start that sort of built towards that. I thought that was quite nice. And, you know, she chooses to, she's like, I'm going into battle for you and, and mentions, you know, you're my husband. And I, I, I did enjoy that. And to that point though, I, I actually enjoyed that. She didn't just choose that because he was her husband. It was because she agreed with him and, and obviously, you know, husband as well, I'm going to support my husband, but only because what you're saying is something that I actually truly believe in. I think that's one thing that does come out with her is that she's a woman in this movie who does have a brain. She does think for herself and she ends up standing up for herself, you know, to the detriment of her own health and safety. Um, so I, I was, I was pretty in on in that character, but I, I, I write that I think she went missing a little bit. Um, I think there was there was a lot more to play out with her that we didn't really get to see. And then it was kind of like, last thing we see, she's in a cage hanging over a castle. Next thing, she's running on the beach to see her husband again. And you kind of, yeah. you know, you, you wish you kind of had to know more about her story because I think I found her a bit of a, I was pretty drawn to her and I think she's a bit of fresh air. Yeah, good. Uh, anyone else that you wanted to discuss? I've got King Edward, so the the king until Dad. he died um <laughs> yeah. he kind of felt like a villain but then they moved off him to make sure that you knew his son was a villain a little bit so he was pretty evil and he probably felt more in control but there was this weakness to him that that's what i kind of felt like ah they're gonna like give you a new villain that's that's like this guy's kind of a bit feeble and old and and that's that was kind of what they were doing but they were basically just as evil as each other the only reason that he was less evil was because they had to make sure that the young guy was the true villain of the film. It's a bit of a quick rush death too. It was like, oh, quick, let's go out to battle. Oh. The next second, oh, we're in the tent, we're dying. <laughs> Reckon we might talk about that one shortly. <laughs> Good. I, I had down Angus McDonald and James Douglas just as like these two supportive sidekicks, I guess, that um, had some good moments throughout that, you know, it was nice to see some loyal people and he wasn't just this lone wolf um, throughout. Yeah, super loyal too, um, with with their counsel, but also with their support. So they, especially Angus, provided tons of counsel. And basically, every time he said something, Robert was like, "Oh yeah, good idea, let's do that." <laughs> and I probably didn't get the credit he deserved. And Douglas was just super entertaining. I, <laughs> I was a big Douglas man. I thought I thought he was great. So we've got uh, the director of this one, David McKenzie. Now the the only thing I I know he's done Hell or Hell, Hell or High Water which also stars Chris Pine. I purchased that when it came out on DVD. Still haven't watched it though, yeah. but I've got it sitting there. The other film he's known for is Startup from 2013. I've heard of this film and I'd seen the poster, but I've got no idea what it's about. So I'm quite interested to check that one out. Um, Startup. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
talk about some scenes. What, what scenes um, did you like in this one? Well, the first one that I did like uh, was when he killed John Common. It just, it really raised the stakes nicely for what was actually going on. I think you said it was very heavy with characters and trying to figure out what was going on. And then when he just did a sneaky little stab, I was like, oh, okay. Like something's actually happening. So that was good. Um, I also, I, I, I kind of liked it. And I've, I've obviously pushed like an hour or so into the film after this is my next favorite scene, but I kind of like it when he found out about his brother and his wife and his daughter, so his brother getting killed, his wife and his daughter getting captured. Now they're on that, sort of island um, and there was this brief moment of calm and, and, and symphony and it all just got torn away really quickly and I, I thought his reaction was pretty pretty good um, and it really set up the, the back or probably the final act of the film to be honest um, and I thought that was just a nice moment in general he gets on that boat and they've got that close up on his face and he just looks like I'm going to get revenge <laughs> <laughs> I think I was kind of done by that point. I think I think I preferred him on the page. I think it went a bit too far there, but I really liked it when they took that first castle. I think I said that I, I loved it when they were um, when they were actually taking those castles and being savages. That was cool stuff. So I wanted to see more of that. And I think it's fair to say I did enjoy the final battle scene. I enjoyed the tactics behind it, fighting in the mud. It would have been pretty crappy to um to shoot that because it just would have been a bog, and it wasn't. It wasn't glamorous in any sort of way. Um, and all of that was basically highlighted by Douglas just going off his rocker every time. I was, I was a huge fan of him just losing it every time. That was, um, that was pretty interesting. So yeah, that's it for me. There's a, there's a real sentiment about when I actually got into this film. Yeah. Well, um, I, this, I was keeping track at the start and I did see this in, um, on IMDb, but that first shot, I was sitting there watching it closely because I was watching it for a couple of minutes. I'm like, hang on. This this has not cut. This is this is continually kept going, and I think was it about nine minutes. I went for altogether that opening tracking shot. I, I was pretty impressed with that, to be honest. Like to go one yeah. take, nine minute tracking shot. It's just and the amount of people that were in that shot, the amount of movement in and out of the tent, back in. Like I was I was pretty impressed. Like that had me straight up. I'm like, okay, this has got some good techniques in it, even if it was hard to work out what the hell was going on. Well, that's the thing because it, it, it was really obvious to me what they were doing in that sense. It felt gimmicky. Like it was cool and it was a good effort and you're right. There was a lot of cast there and they had to go in and out of the tent and then back out of the tent. But it probably took away from the actual viewing experience because they were trying to sell you on this. And I'm like, okay, they haven't cut this shot yet. So I'm just going to keep watching it until I cut it because I was aware of it. And maybe you probably don't have to be aware of it. Um, so yeah, credit to them for, for doing yeah. it, but they, they probably took away from the opening of the film, I reckon, by doing it. Maybe for yeah, I agree with you. I reckon maybe for us because we're maybe specifically looking at that, whereas some people wouldn't even care. They'd just be like, oh cool, I'm just watching these characters move around. So yeah, maybe we just look at it from a different perspective. But yeah, I agree. It compl- it's it's a little bit distracting from what's actually happening because I was too mm. focused on, oh, this is cool. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, yeah. yeah, it's impressive. And like you mentioned, I think the the next few of my things are, are just from those um, takeovers that they did. Like the the idea of you know they do this truce, it's a Sunday, no fighting, and then you know, this surprise attack at night. Some of those arrows coming through those through the roof, and the, it was cool. Some of the 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 the, the fights and stuff in that scene were nice. Um, the when the Prince of Wales um, kills Robert's brother, 
oh, that gutting. Mm, um, oh, geez, yeah, like, that was brutal. Yeah. I was just shocked and surprised to see it on screen. Like that got me like back in. I might have been dozing a little bit. I was like, oh, well, geez, this is this is impressive. It was um, like they wanted to set you up with something really gory. So when you saw Chris Pine's wang ladder on, you're already expecting a level of <laughs> a level of mouth open kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, the, la- the last one's another it's that Palm Sunday one where they, they have that church service and just that massacre in the church and like yeah. I, I have like no doubt that this is influenced heavily by um, the Red Wedding of Game of Thrones like to me that was literally a rip off of that 100% but it was still cool it was cool <laughs> well maybe maybe Game of Thrones were reading through the through the archives yeah, and actually if it was if it was exactly how it happened, maybe they picked it up. Well done, George R. R. Martin. Yeah, good. All right. What are some things you want to forget from this one? Yeah, I thought Robert's father, his death scene felt pretty odd to me. Uh, they were kind of talking quite normally, quite naturally, quite eloquently, you could argue. And then he was kind of dead within 20 seconds, really peacefully. Like it wasn't, yeah, it just, I, obviously he had to die, but I think they could have made him a little bit more closer to death before he died. So. I thought both, both the father's deaths were really quick and just, yeah, just to... Oh, uh, yeah, well, I'll get to that now because the king's death was really weird and sudden. Like, I, I just, it was terrible, to be perfectly honest. The guy was fine. The only reference was he did mention at one point that he stumbled when he was walking because he was trying to prove another point. And then obviously he's on his horse and he slows down. And then like next scene, he is looking deathly in, in a bed. Like uh, that was that was pretty ordinary too. You probably had to just lead up to it. And maybe that's why that was a four-hour cut when they first made the film because it felt really weird. Um, there were so – you mentioned this as well. Just you liked the fight scene, which was I agree. But the scene where they wanted to fight one-on-one and they had to reschedule it because it was a Sunday – like that has aged so badly because how can you just turn those emotions on and off? Like I, I want to kill you. Let's fight you and me. Let's let's fight. I'm going to kill you right now. It's Sunday, mate. So we'll do it tomorrow. It's oh yeah, yeah, no worries. Like that was bizarre to me, and I get it. Like the I completely get it, but it was just so weird. I mean, and then it obviously yeah, made you, sense because they had to yeah. have the ambush. And- but you'd even you even go back to um, you know, the World War One. And these sorts of um, truces were being made, so it's not even that distant from from our memories. Um, it's just, yeah, very very interesting that it does feel very distant to us, doesn't it? But you know, just because you know, you, know, you can't put aside a date, even if you dislike mm. someone that much, that we're just like, nah, let's just get over and done with now because we're in this society that's just click click click. We got to go as fast as we can. Yeah, I get that, but I just also think on screen it was a weird look. Yeah. Because I was, I was like, oh, here we go. This is a nice confrontation. This guy's a bit of a psycho. He's going to just go nuts. And I want to see Robert fight. And then it was like, it's Sunday, mate. I'm not going to fight you. It's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to see that. Um, there was also a couple of attempts of, hu- of humor at, at humor that didn't work. Um, one after the wedding night when the <laughs> the people sitting outside were like, oh, that was quick. It, it <laughs> just didn't really, I, I was like, oh, we're doing jokes now, are we? Like, I was not in that mood. And two, when uh, when Douglas kissed Angus on the mouth after he warned him about going near his daughter, I was like, where where'd this come from? <laughs> Both of them just seemed really out of place. Uh, so it didn't work for me. Um, and then the final thing that I didn't really like, I would have 
as much as I liked, um, what was her name? Elizabeth. And I thought Florence Pugh did a nice job. I kind of was more invested in the father-daughter relationship. And I think I would have preferred to see him reunite with his daughter at the end uh, than his wife, who he's known for, you know, three weeks. Because when they're running on the beach together, I was like, oh, that's all well and good. Where's his daughter? And she's like, oh, no, yeah, she's just she's just up up the hill or whatever. I was like, oh, I, I wanted to see that. That was more important to me. So, But I guess, you know, you've got your two big name actors. you got to get them together. So fair enough. But so, yeah. As soon as you came running out, I, my notes, I started writing, where's Marjorie? And then thank God, <laughs> I was like, oh, of course, they're going to say, oh, she's okay. They needed to. They had to. <laughs> it's like she'd clocked off for the day because, you know, kids can only do X amount of hours in the day and they, they couldn't get her in. She was doing her biology homework. Over, so. um, <laughs> the, all right, three, 33 minutes to go was when we got to see Chris Pine's penis. Mm. I'm putting that in my forgettable scenes because I, I mentioned last week that I knew this was coming. Um, I was disappointed that the, the camera didn't stay long enough. That's what um, annoyed me. So I'm calling that a forgettable scene. <laughs> I just don't know why it happened. I put in my notes here, I said, not long enough. And now I look at back and I'm like, that's got a double meaning. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in fairness to Chris, I think it was long enough. But, <laughs> I was, but yeah, that's, that scene was not long enough. Um, that's what I meant by not long enough. Um, yeah, that annoyed me. I was like, if you're going to have it, like make it make it worthwhile, not just I'm having a bath. Ooh, like, <laughs> yeah, even have 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 a reason for it, you know, whether he's getting tortured and he has to be naked. Like, I think nudity in a film, obviously, there's a certain film that has nudity for the sake of nudity, and that's fine as well. But if you're making a historical epic with with nudity, you, you probably want to give your actor a real reason to be able to do it. Um, there's almost and, a, better, a better opportunity in that in the sex scene earlier on. That that's that, where I thought that, it was going to yeah, come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was really strange, but you know, it happened, and here we are talking about it for a minute. So got our attention. <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move on. Uh, I thought at the towards the end, there's um, Robert does this big rev up speech right before that big final battle, and I was like, this was a really poor speech. And all of a sudden, it was the first time I noticed that he had a Scottish accent. I was like, I don't think he'd had a Scottish accent the whole movie. And all of a sudden, he's got this big thick. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? That really annoyed me. Um, it was a terrible speech. It was, it was a bad speech. And the last thing I had was all those horses that fell. That, that mm. was horrible. That was really bad to watch. Um, I just couldn't believe it that, yeah, that no animals were actually hurt in doing any yep. of those things. doesn't make sense. I'm really know. hoping they were all CGI animals. That, that would be the perfect response because that was, I felt horrible. Yeah. Um, all right. What's, what's this one trying to say? What's my ideas? Uh, look, yeah, it's, I mean, there's there's a whole lot about honour and loyalty. Um, obviously, the whole reason this battle started was because they felt that they had their right to to the throne uh, of Scotland specifically, and they didn't want to be pushed around by, uh, I guess, a government that they didn't think was had their interests at heart. So, ties into the idea of fighting for what you believe in, and basically risking everything to make sure that you get that, which which is a very common theme in a lot of movies, particularly ones that, you know, involve any kind of battle of sorts. There's always, we don't like the way that we're getting treated, so we're going to fight our way out of it and um, our intentions are pure. Rah, rah. So it, it, it does, you know, talk about a lot of things that we've seen before, but it doesn't mean it's not, you know, well done and prevalent. Yeah. Um, this idea of war as well where, they keep mentioning, you know, what you have to give up to be a leader in this type of situation, your family, your relationships. 
Um, and this idea too of the British being this invading force across multiple times that we see. And they mentioned this idea of chivalry as well, like these, these rules or these unwritten ground rules of war. And, um, and you know, this idea too that it's time for a change and it was okay for them to, to mix these rules up a bit and use the, they used the land to their advantage to build those sort of little trenches mm. and, and they, they didn't follow those. Like, you know, they, obviously, the other side, the English broke that handshake on that weekend that they had, but then they started going into these guerrilla tactics and um, and this idea of revenge too um, was quite quite obvious through um, a few of these characters and getting back their land and their, their property they'd lost as well as David versus Goliath, big versus small. Yeah. There, like so many scenes where how many men have you got left? Oh, no, 40. Oh, how many have you got left? 40. Five, five. Let's <laughs> say, <laughs> you know, the, the, the big, lots of people like to see that story of the, the small person getting up over the bigger one. Oh, for sure. And I, yeah, good. All right, what do we take away from this one? Uh, look, whilst I'm sure it would have really popped on the big screen in a nice dark cinema, to me, this movie felt more like the kind of film that you watch in high school in your history class where you love the fact that you're actually watching this Hollywood movie rather than getting stuck in your textbook. And then you know the teacher's got to fast forward every single time there's boobs or penises on screen and everyone kind of has a bit of a giggle and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of movie this felt like. Okay, fair. Yeah, I, I know what you meant, like you're saying, because as soon as you said that, I brought up memories of watching Spartacus and Vikings and, you know, these um, Kirk Douglas films from the, the 50s and 60s that, you know, you used as, um, you know, that was, you'd get booked into the room with a little trolley on the TV and you get mm, to watch it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, at the, at the same time, like, it brings back memories too of, um, I think we watched Wall Street um, at school for business or legal studies or something, and there's a... <laughs> There was a scene where there's a, a, a sex scene in the back of a car and our AV department had just put this blank screen on um, saying, you know, edited by the school. And we had to watch two That's amazing. Of, we watched two minutes of this, our school made with edited by the school until it got to the next scene. <laughs> I, I still remember watching Romeo and Juliet in like year nine or 10. And it was the old school Romeo and Juliet. And there was like a the glimpse of a, of a Juliet boob at one point. And I think the teacher like missed it the first time. She's like, Oh no. And she's trying to try to like fast forward it. And then the next time that we had to watch, she's like, all right, what part are we up to? And the whole class is like, Oh no, we're up to this part, which was like a minute before it happened again. So we watched it again. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. there's just some fun experiences like that. We actually also watched uh, American Werewolf in London in media in like year 10. And there was like full boobs all through that. And the media teacher was just like, doesn't matter. You guys are old enough. You can see this. And everyone's just like, whoa, look at this. <laughs> uh, goodness gracious me. I think I looked at, uh, yeah, anyway, well, I'll keep moving. Um, the, I'll keep, we'll keep telling stories like all day about this. The, for me, the costume design of this was pretty incredible. The, the amount of people mm. in lots of shots, the, the time-specific um, costumes that they had, and a lot of the drone shots showed off some lovely scenery. Um, that's true. Shots um, above through, so some nice visuals to take out of this one. Did you go on IMDb at all to check anything out? I did, and get what this is. This is a guy that I IMDb'd back when we watched the movie Caliber. So Tony yeah. Curran plays Angus, who was the guy in Caliber, and I IMDb'd him during Caliber because he was also the Invisible Man from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen back in two thousand and four. So. Sorry, Tony. Once I IMDb you once, I shouldn't have to IMDb you again. But you know, I'll stick with you now. So cool. um, that was my IMDb for this one. Cool. Good. Yeah, I didn't jump on. So um, 
Yeah, all good. Uh, time for some questions. Anything you want to ask? Well, you kind of touched on this because uh, I wanted to know your thoughts on Chris Pine's accent because I actually thought it got progressively worse the more dialogue that he had. Um, but if you didn't even pick up on it at the start, then maybe you didn't. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I was, uh, that just really annoyed me at the end. I thought it was really bad. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. great. Um, <laughs> anything else? No, that's it. No. Um, I guess the, it, his character, Robert, it was complicated. Reminded me a bit of Ned Kelly. Do you think? Do you think he's a hero, or is he? Uh, yeah, he, I do. Yeah, yes, yeah. I do because I of the way he led. That was the yeah. Oh, yeah, true. But his intentions were great. Like he basically freed his country, um, and yeah. I just don't think he was a. He was he was heroic in the sense of what he achieved. He just didn't seem that heroic whilst he was doing it. Yep. Good. 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 Um, just some these are these aren't questions. These are just things I jotted down as I was doing a bit of research. So six years ago, um, Scotland had a referendum on becoming an independent country, which was defeated. So they're still fighting to become independent, which is crazy. Just six years ago, and um, you know this film's what seven hundred yeah, based on events seven hundred years ago. Um, yeah. Last last one you mentioned before you, you checked out the credits to see. The um, animals weren't harmed. I, I got down to um, and there's this little sections like Mr. Pine. So um, we'd like to thank Mr. Pine had an assistant. He had a personal chef. He had a personal assistant chef and a personal trainer. So I guess that's what comes with a big, um, big Hollywood star. They bring their own little crew with them. <laughs> the weirdest, and sometimes I was like looking at some weird roles on films, but there was a location Wi-Fi provider. So there's one person on set whose job was to make sure the cast would have um, Wi-Fi where they were filming. I said that's funny. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I guess it. I mean, it takes a whole host of people to make a film, and you could very easily not put those people in the credits, but they still played a role. Like, I, I, yeah, but I mean, it's not not uncommon for big stars to have. They always have assistants, but I don't know if their chefs have assistants. That's probably a good that's, one. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, time to wrap it up. We give it a rating out of five, um, and give it an average. What, what are you thinking for this one? It really didn't do too much for me. Um, I thought it was fine. It, it got more engaging once they actually started to show some tactic and some strategy within their game plan. But the majority of it before that was was pretty forgettable, but there was still enough in there for for two and a half stars for me. Good, yeah. To me, the, the highlights are the visuals. I thought the acting was fairly like okay. There weren't anything too bad apart from some accents, I guess. Um, the budget was obviously a nice one to get and it's nice effects and locations and things like that. Um, so I'm giving it a three, which gives yep. us a 2.75 um, out of five. We are on social media. So we've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, pop a question up for the week. Is revenge a dish best served cold? <laughs> <laughs> just just in there for the Prince of Wales. Um, you needed something to, to rev him up to continue to, to get that revenge. Thank you. Yeah, good question, mate. It's an oldie but a goodie. Good, yeah. I had to Google search what that what it was because I was like, I don't want to stuff it up. <laughs> uh, Best served warm. Warm, yeah. Uh, we're back next week. We have another 2018 film. It's the Western anthology film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, directed by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, stars James Franco, Brendan Gleeson, Zoe Kazan, Liam Neeson, Tim Blake Nelson, Tom Waits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'll leave the rest off, but... We're back again for that one next week, which is a um, good one to look forward to.
I have been hanging out for this one and I've specifically not watched it because I know that we were going to cover it. So the day is finally here and I'm looking forward to watching it. Me too. Very similar thoughts. Um, it's been sitting there on that watch list. So bring it on. Thanks again. And um, mm. I'll see you next week. You will. Looking forward to it, mate. See ya.